0: Welcome to Boardroom Media, my name is Velvet Bell Templeman, and I'm here talking to Matt Croxford, National Head of Human Capital, and Katie O'Keefe, Partner in Human Capital at Grant Thornton. Matt has expertise in executive coaching, strategy, and employee engagement, and Katie specialises in developing high-performing leaders and teams. Today we'll be talking about the much-discussed return to work, now that restrictions are beginning to ease, and just what that looks like. Thanks so much for joining us, Matt and Katie.
1: Morning, Velvet Bell. Good to be here.
0: Good morning, Velvet Bell. Thanks for having us again. It's great to be back. It's great to have you. Now, Matt, what's your gut reaction to the return to work conversation?
1: Yeah, look, it's an interesting phrase, isn't it? Because it's it's really not the same for everyone, is it? I mean, it's I find the phrase is somewhat, you know, un- unrepresentative. I mean, it really depends on what your reality has been like over the last few months, doesn't it? I mean, so. You know, for instance, if, you, if you're in, in the tourism field or entertainment or or retail, these last few months have been really, really tough, right? And you're probably desperate to get back to work and earn some real money and, you know, kickstart your businesses again and, and get customers back in and look for the rest of us. We are desperate for you to do that too. I mean, it's, it's wonderful we're seeing some of these restrictions ease this morning, because, you know, just on a side note, you know, I'm absolutely bored to the back teeth of my own cooking. My family is as well. I'm desperate to go back to the pub for a pint and change of scenery would be lovely too sort of thing but we've got clients that that we're working with that have absolutely thrived during this period of time. I mean they're telling us they're busier than ever. I mean we've got digital businesses that are absolutely booming because you know we're we're all spending more time online than we have before. I've got some legal clients that uh, we're doing some work with and they're struggling under the weight of of, of expanded scope of work that they're working on as well as some new work uh, at the same time. We're doing some interesting work in local government and it's really interesting because they're using this time to tackle some of the major capital works programs that they haven't been putting off for a little while. So, you know, the roads are quieter, the parks and sort of community spaces are quieter. So they're doing work on parks and playgrounds and roads and maintenance on wastewater systems and things like that. So they're busier than ever, some of those things. So it really depends on where you are, what you're doing at a particular moment in time. I feel pretty confident that what comes next will be different it's not going to be earth shattering for everyone but you know for some people it will be earth shattering there will be some major shifts for some people but regardless it will be different you know i personally can't wait i mean I, i'm i'm not going back to my old ways i mean there's no way i'm spending so much time commuting it was so so January you know um but it's to me it's not really a return to work it's it, it's a it's a really big opportunity for us to take a chance to stop reimagine what work could be like and and possibly make some significant changes for the future. And hey, kids, you're welcome. You know, if you look back on it, let's hope you, you thank us for it.
0: That's a really excellent point. As you say, many of us are still working. And Katie, in that case, what does the, let's call it, return to the workplace actually mean then?
2: Well, for me, I see it as a wonderful opportunity for us to redefine and redesign work and the workplace For me, it feels like a unique point in time where we almost get to start again or start from scratch. And in the finance world, there's a method called zero-based budgeting. So for all our um, accountants listening, they would be very well aware of that. And the premise with zero-based budgeting is that you break everything down to what you really need and build it up again based on demand and other factors. Rather than just basing your budget on history and making incremental improvements on the year before, so if we apply that same thinking to returning to the workplace, wouldn't it be wonderful if we took this time now to really apply human centered design thinking and consciously and deliberately plan what is the best solution for different people and different businesses? And why should we do this? Why, why is this an opportunity? Well, I've had many conversations and read a lot of articles and posts with people talking about the changes that they've really enjoyed and concerned they don't want to go back to the way things were. The number of people I've heard say recently, you know, I'm now worried about coming out of this phase into the next phase because I've adopted changes in my life that I really appreciate and I don't want to lose those. So I think it would be a great shame if we all just rush back to offices and commuting and travelling and the negative consequences of all that without really considering what we need, what works, what's good for people, what our customers and clients need and what our families, children and communities need.
0: And Katie, what are some of the positives that you're hearing from the ISO working experience that people want to retain?
2: So the conversation about positive has actually been going on for a while now. Um, I started thinking about it a few months ago and was inspired to put a post on LinkedIn. And even back then, there was a lot of really thoughtful contribution from people about the positives that they're hoping will be maintained. Um, So I'm particularly curious about the topic. And from the articles I've been reading uh, and the posts I've been reading and the conversations I've been having, there's really five consistent themes coming through. The first one is this idea that we have a genuine care and compassion for people in our lives, be that family, friends, colleagues or neighbours or others. There's been a real shift in focus to what's really important to us as humans and a shift in the narrative to connection and collective care. So we no longer ask how are you as a casual way to start a conversation. It's a real question and we're listening for a real answer. So that's the first one. The second one, and it's it's quite connected to that or related to that, is this wonderful sort of acceptance that real connection is a critical ingredient to successful relationships and particularly true for leaders of organisations. So the number of surveys showing now that people feel they've had more frequent and better quality connections with their leaders, they feel a stronger sense of purpose in their work and belonging with their colleagues is significant. So I think it's really important and I'd love to see leaders particularly thinking about how to maintain this mindset and belief that regular and genuine connection and communication with our people is really critical as we commence this new phase of working. There's been a lot of global recognition that maybe we don't need so much pace and business in our lives. Matt mentioned before that everything slowed down a little bit. And so the third theme is this this idea that it's a time and an opportunity for us to refocus on what really matters to be successful in work and life. That long commutes to offices, interstate and international travel for meetings and conferences complicated life logistics and planning because we're all running around like headless chooks all the time but maybe perhaps we don't need those things in our lives in order to be effective and productive contributors it's possible often even more effective to enable and empower people to work when and where is most suited to them So, flexible working isn't something to be approached with scepticism or something that's only for people with caring responsibilities, but it actually works effectively for many different people in lots of different situations, and that that's really good for business.
0: So, Matt, redesigning the nature of work, what are some different ways that that could look?
1: Yeah, look, it's a great point, VP. I mean, you know, the nature of work itself has really been put under the microscope over this last sort of few months, hasn't it? I mean, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, some of the work and some of the jobs that are taking place at the moment are probably not gonna change a great deal. I mean, essentially, if you're an outdoor worker, the chances are that your role is probably not too different today than it was a couple of months ago. In fact, during that time, you've probably been doing pretty much the same as as what you have done for, for many years. What has changed and what will be fundamentally different is things like the professions, office workers, and of course, knowledge workers that's the nature of work. I mean, some of the clients we're talking to, they're asking a lot of questions. We're all spending a lot of time on these, you know, Skype calls and Zoom calls and so on. People are asking a lot of questions. And and I have to say the nature of these questions are very much around why, you know, sort of things like, you know, why did I spend so long commuting each day? You know, time wasted as it were. You know, why did I believe that I had to physically be in the office or be at my workplace to be productive? You know, why didn't I try this with my team early? Why didn't I give this or delegate this to my team beforehand? Because, geez, they've really picked up the ball and run with it. Why have I never connected with my clients or my customers like this in the past? I mean, what stopped me doing this kind of thing? Why do we think it would take so long to, to create this change? I mean, Katie talked about, you know, home-based call centers, systems being turned on, workforces being put out to work remotely in the, in the matter of a couple of days. And for a lot of people, at least I'm hearing is this sense of, why did I give so much of myself to the job? You know, without getting my soapbox around it. I mean, you know, most human beings work as a primary mechanism by which we make a contribution in the world. And so we spend more of our waking lives at work than we do with the people that, you know, that matter the most to us in our lives. Well, we did at least. And now increasingly, I felt it's become this very binary sort of discussion. Either or, I can have a great job and great career prospects and so on, but it will come at a cost of my home life. And it's really one or the other. So I think I'm trying to bring it to a conclusion around some of the things that I'm thinking about that that we're hearing in this space is that what COVID has done for us and some things that we actually need to be thankful for is that, you know, we've communicated more frequently and more completely to all of those people that we connect with. We've really had to focus on what matters, what drives real value as opposed to just busy work. We've had to trust our people to get on with it, give them the space and the respect to make the decisions as to how they're gonna do that and believe that it'll get done I mean, the essence of real trust in this space we've really had to connect with each other a much more deeper empathetic level dare i say even human and we've been able to devote more quality time to life outside of work with the people who matter to us perhaps even getting a great more uh, more realistic level of balance so we can be thankful for these at least as to redesign the nature of work well, we'll have to see how these things pan out, but I think these are the foundations and the work that we do around organizational redesign. We always start with a set of guiding principles. I think we need to use these um, These things that we've just been talking about as, a, as the essence of guiding principles to redesign organizations. I think we need to be doing that as a, as a society at the moment. Katie, what are you hearing?
2: Yeah, I think so. the guiding principles are such a great sort of thought starter around this. And if you think about the guiding principles that have driven the design of work up until today, one of those guiding principles or assumptions has been that work takes place in a location with others where we're all together. And I think what we're seeing now is this idea that that's actually not true. It's an assumption that doesn't stand up when you test it. Uh, and you put people in different places and you see how it works. So I think that there's a few things that I think as a result of that we might see as becoming kind of guiding principles or redesign principles as we think about redesigning work. I think one of those is this idea of locationless jobs. So, organisations accessing talent where it lives, rather than requiring it to come to the organisation. And that could actually open up global talent pools even more. I think we've, we've heard a lot about this idea of the mobile workforce, which assumes that you've got a workforce that's free to move around the world to go to where the work is. I think that the conversation will be becoming a, an accessible workforce that we're tapping into people who previously found um, that, that I wasn't mobile, but I'm accessible. And so this could actually tap into people who previously found accessing physical work offices very challenging. So it could make the workforce more diverse and more inclusive, which would be incredibly exciting. I think the second thing is this idea that we'll be genuinely digital first. Again, this digital first has been a term that's been thrown around for such a long time But I think now we will actually approach the design of works and jobs with a digital-first mindset. So how can this be done effectively with technology? How can we reach people both as customers, employees? And how do we engage with people wherever they're located? I think the third thing for me is um, what does it mean for offices and workspaces? And I think we could see offices becoming primarily collaboration centres. So people don't go into an office to sit at a desk, but instead they go to do team-based work. And that the physical locations are set up by default to enable digital connection with people who aren't physically in the room and so it would be interesting then to see how office and retail spaces that aren't being utilized become repurposed and if we continue to use this sort of socially good mindset that's really emerged during COVID-19 how might companies start to consider how their unused office space can benefit others and how might we see then this greater sharing if that's what happens result in improved cross-organization collaboration and then therefore um, improved innovation
0: Katie, you also mentioned that this is an opportunity for organisations to take a look at themselves and their business imperative. Call me pessimistic, but would this ever actually happen?
2: Uh, look, Velvet Bell, I think that the pessimist question is a really important question to ask, and you know I'm forever an optimist. So I tend to think about it as why I wouldn't stay. For some time, there's been a push for employees to demand more from their employers, more flexibility, better balance, increased inclusion, better communication, a stronger sense of purpose and giving back to the community. And with employees able to demand more of that, if they're not getting it, then they're able to move elsewhere. There's greater choice as a worker in employers. So I think the current situation will escalate the need for companies to show they are listening to their people, both now and into the future, and to design their work and workplaces so that everyone benefits. I think the companies that don't take the time now to redefine and redesign will be left behind because people increasingly will vote with their feet, or maybe a better way to say it is with their mouse clicks, um, if they're not actually physically together, and head elsewhere for both work and consumption or shopping. I do, however, believe that there is a risk attached to long-term and large-scale working from home, if that's what is maintained. At the moment, I think there's some very unique conditions around what's making it so successful, and the global pandemic as a driver for working from home means we're all acutely aware of a very real threat to human life, both through health, psychological, and financial factors. So we've approached this with a mindset that we need to be in regular contact with each other and really caring and inquiring about each other's wellbeing. So even though we're more at home, we're in more regular contact and the contact is genuinely caring and empathetic. I'm a, I'm a little bit worried that as the threat from the pandemic diminishes and the world begins to return to a regular rhythm and cadence, and as everything starts to speed up again, because that's how it will feel, it will feel like it gets faster again, there's a risk that the impetus and mindset for staying connected and caring will also diminish. And so that if we're all working from home extensively and we lose this mindset of care for each other, that there's a very real risk and that our workforces will begin to feel increasingly disconnected and isolated, that managers will lose touch with their people and what they're working on. And this will drive an overcorrection back to, well, we just have to all be together in the same place for work to be effective and productive. So I really believe it's essential that, if we maintain flexibility for people to be working wherever and whenever they want to that we also maintain this mindset of connection and care for our people matt you and i were talking about this earlier and you had some very interesting related observations about physical workspace design and implications for landlords
1: yeah, look, I mean, can, can you imagine being a commercial landlord at the moment? I mean, how tough would that be? It's been a tough few years in that space. It's going to, going to continue to be so. I mean, look, we, we, we fundamentally redesigned the way office space uh, looks and feels over over the last 10 years or so. I mean, we've got flexible working, hot desks, you know, collaboration zones, and so on. I mean, no one's in offices anymore. I mean, it's rare to have such a thing. And, and I think, it look, for me, it's really interesting because I have this sort of sense that as you take away... A sense of base, a sense of home. Even you know, for a few hours a day, you take that away from someone. You know, come into the office. Here's your locker. Here's you know, choose a desk to, to sit at. You take away a sense of permanence, albeit for a short period of time. I just wonder what the impact that has on an individual's motivation and connection to the organisation. I mean, look, m- many organisations themselves have really exacerbated this. I mean, I I know of organisations. That do not have enough desks for the people that they employ. It's increasing. There's a number of organisations in that space. Many of them are in are in the cities, and um, many are many are probably listening to this. And so, you know, there's a booking system. I get on online and I book a desk for the day and so on. So, if, you, if I turn up after a certain period of time, then there's not no desk for me. So. I think what's happened is that COVID has just accelerated all this sort of stuff, right? Um, on one hand, there's this need, and it will increase during this time, of the need to give people a sense of flexibility to, to let them to choose where and how they want to work. And, and that's great because we've seen a, the, the benefits to uh, our working lives and our balance and our mental health and all the rest of it that comes with that. But on the other hand, there's this sense of connection to the organization and do we let the rope out too far and lose that connection individual so as much as jobs have evolved over the years about being more than just a way to pay bills work is also evolving to a state where it's 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 much more than a place you go to so you know we we need to work on this uh change you know to use a little bit of jargon here you know the employee value proposition what's in it for the employee you know if the swanky office isn't the draw card and the experience in the office isn't the draw card or is not as much of a draw card anymore then is working how you want and where you want enough of a draw card and how long will that last for so to sort of build on some of Katie's points there so you know companies are going to have to think really hard and really differently about how they're going to retain their talent i mean for me is this it's, you know it's time for a new deal right it's this, it's maybe like it's a new leadership deal of how we're going to work with individuals during this time to increase that connection, when we might not see them for in some cases for quite a long time.
0: Sounds like a huge leap forward for the way that we work. Surely there are obstacles.
1: Look, absolutely, uh, Velvet Bell. There are. I mean, you know, I, I have to say, sometimes wonder whether the fact that we've been, you know, arguably so successful in navigating this pandemic might actually work against us. You know, we're getting through this quicker and faster than many of us thought possible. But there are some sectors out there that that are still seeing this because we got through it so quickly, hey, this has just been a bump in the road. We need to get back to normal, and that's where we began in this conversation this morning. You know, we need to get back to normal, get back to the way things were. And I gotta say, I feel really sorry for those people who are experiencing that because what they're missing out on is a chance to make a real change in the way that uh, they operate. I mean, this is outdated thinking, albeit, you know, it was outdated only a few months ago. Um, but. Uh, It's restrictive and it's really based on scarcity. There's not enough to go around. Whereas new ways of thinking about abundance, there's different ways of operating and thinking. We can actually get more out of our lives rather than more in a particular aspect of our lives. You know, I I mean, I I heard something the other day from a a law firm, I mean, this, this particular law firm sent an email to all of its staff saying, look, don't rush back to work. You should come back when you feel well enough, you know, safe enough to do so, comfortable enough to do so. And then in a separate email sent soon afterwards, an email out to all the partners saying, we expect you back at your desk on Monday morning as a show of strength. You know, so this is a real sort of conundrum in these types of organizations. So I, you know, I mentioned the leadership deal before, just a moment ago. And I think this is something that organizations really do need to spend some time thinking about. The core here is about trust. And so during this time of COVID, when workforce has been uh, scattered and, and at home, leaders and managers have had to trust their people to get on with it because they haven't any choice now moving forward they will have a choice and so there's this sense around on what is the trust conditional if i've got a choice do i really trust these people and so how does that shape the way i think and act and behave as as a leader i saw this really kind of amusing post the other day um online and it was about who was responsible for transforming your organization? So, you know, it listed a big consultancy, I won't name them, the CEO, IT or COVID-19. So it's clear, I mean, COVID-19 has been probably one of the most single, most powerful transformative forces that we've seen in work in many, many years. Whilst it's been hugely impactful, it's also been very, very quick. And I wonder, you know, we, we are creatures of habit. The path of least resistance is a path well-worn for, for a number of good reasons. I wonder how soon we might be able to revert back, and we all know that change is hard. So I'm not sure that we are fully transformed. There will be pockets of area where things are different, and there will be some pockets where things are going back to the way they have.
0: So, Matt and Katie, this is your wheelhouse. You talk about culture and leadership and people all day. Where do you think that this is all leading?
2: Oh, gosh, I wish I knew the answer to that. I wish I had a crystal ball. Um, I'm so curious to see where it does all go. And as you say, this is my wheelhouse. And so I'll be reading, talking and listening and watching intently to see what questions we ask ourselves and each other, how we reflect the lessons we learn and how we take that forward into the future. I said earlier, I'm an optimist to the end. So I'm very hopeful that we will look back on this time and this extremely difficult and challenging period in human history that changed our course for the better. It was a time when we paused because we had to, we reconnected with each other as humans and we re-examined what really matters.
1: Look, from, from my perspective, Elle, I mean, you know, I joked earlier on about, about the next generation of you know, our kids thanking us for the legacy that we left behind as a result of using COVID to redesign the way we work and the world that work is and, and the connection that we have to it. And so my real great hope is that we actually do, And secondly, that it's a legacy that really is worth leaving behind.
0: Matt and Katie, thank you for your time.
1: Thank you, you Velvet Bell. Bell. Pleasure.
0: You can find further information on how COVID-19 might affect your business and assistance is available to you on the Grant Thornton COVID-19 hub at au forward slash COVID-19. My name's Velvet Bell Templeman and you're listening to Boardroom Media.